and welcome to this week's episode of The Raw, our brand new SAFC podcast brought to you by the Sunland Echo team and this is episode number four. Uh, Richard Manier here and I'm joined by our chief Sunland writer Phil Smith. Morning. Uh, Mark Donnelly. Morning. And James Copley who you can't hear but he's uh, he's behind the screen in charge of the buttons here at the University of Sunland uh, for the latest episode of The Raw. Um, so plenty to discuss this week then. It's never dull at Sunland and uh, what a week we've had. Sunland make it five straight wins thanks to victories over Wimbledon in League One at the Stadium on Saturday and uh, Burnley in the Carabao Cup last night uh, at Turf Moor. We're recording this on Thursday morning. Uh, Phil and Mark were there for us last night. We'll get their view on the win shortly. Uh, plus, we'll be discussing in depth, the obviously, the biggest news this week, the American investors looking to take controlling stake in Sunland, plus all the latest on the transfer front ahead of Monday's 5pm deadline in League One. Uh, a lot, therefore, to discuss over the next 45 minutes or so in our New Look studio this week. We're uh, here at the University of Sunland, as I say, recording this. Um, we look like we're about to record a Christmas single, but we are here to talk uh, talk football, so we'll we'll get cracking. Um, first up, then wins over AFC Wimbledon and Burnley. Um, big big busy week, sorry for Sunderland again. It's been a pretty relentless couple of weeks. Obviously, at the start of the campaign, uh, really promising three-one win over Wimbledon at the Stadium Light. Chris Maguire hat trick uh, on Saturday in front of the potential American investors, uh, which we'll we'll get to shortly. And then, of course, last night's three-one uh, win at Burnley. Having gone uh, a goal down, they turned it round really impressively with two goals in three minutes. Um, just after half time, Dobson and Flanagan on the back of Will Griggs' first goal of the season. Um, Mark, Phil, you were both there. What was your what was your take on the the performance and the victory? Yeah, very good. To be fair, I think you have to give Jack Ross a lot of credit. He made eight changes, but he put a team out that was determined to try and play football. They try to get bodies forward. Whenever possible, in the first half, it almost backfired because Burnley had a very, very strong team. They made 10 changes, but I think pretty much every player was an established international or certainly an expensive acquisition at some stage. And they created a lot of good openings in the first half. They were a a very good side, but Sunderland just played with so much energy. Um, The team that Ross picked, it was full of young players, five players under the age of 23, which is you know incredible when you think about it, really, to take on a side of Premier League established players. And I thought eventually they just ended up overrunning them. Um, the likes of George Dobson, Luke O'Neill, Lyndon Gooch just never stopped. And yeah, in the first half they had to survive some tricky moments. And if Burnley had scored when they hit the post twice and made it 2-0, that probably would have been game over. But Sunderland, you know, haven't got that slice of luck. Got themselves back in the game and I thought they fully deserved the win in the second half because like I say, they just outran Burnley. I thought they outplayed them as well. Um, it was just a real, a real treat to see such a... A vibrant young side playing with playing with so much energy and so much commitment. Mark, first of all, how was the pie? The pie was excellent, to be honest. I know Phil wasn't a huge fan of his meat and uh, potato pie, but my cheese and onion one was was spot on, to be honest. And uh, what was your take on the game? I, I thought Sunderland played really well. Obviously, as Phil said, there were some difficult moments in the first half, and they maybe rode their luck a little bit when Burnley hit the post twice. The goal came at a good time, Will Griggs' goal, because that was probably when Burnley were enjoying their best spell. And if they'd have made it two 0 they probably would have gone on and won. But the second half performance was fantastic and the game management aspect of it was brilliant as well in terms of how they saw the game out. Lee Burgess only really had a couple of saves to make and they did really well. Um, Obviously that kind of win as well just boosts confidence, really, really lifts the mood. You know, that's five, five on the bounce, as you say, in all competitions now. And that's huge for Sunderland and that kind of momentum is what they struggled with towards the end of last season. So if they can keep building on that, some difficult fixtures coming up. I know obviously we'll talk about Peterborough later, but... Yeah, we've got our posh predictions. Don't, predictions, don't spoil yeah, that. I won't spoil that. 
But there's some really, really positive signs and some real big headaches for Jack Ross now off the back of that as well. And Greg Phil just getting that first goal of the season, obviously um, fortunate in the way it came to him, but smart finish. And I know, um, I think it was Max Power, wasn't it, in the week, was saying how good he'd been in training. It was just a case of getting one of those in a game and hopefully flying from there. Yeah, his performances have been much better for a little while now, to be fair. I, th- I think it has been coming. Sometimes you need that little bit of luck, which he got. Um, but having said that, he, he never looked like missing it. He, he took it really emphatically. But I think the big thing from, from Will's perspective last night was, yes, he got the goal, but he, di- he did the job that the manager asked of him really well. I thought he ran the channels very, very well. He won a lot more headers than you would expect against Kevin Long and Ben Gibson. Um, he actually held the ball up pretty well. He got his teammates into play where possible and relieved a bit of pressure. So the goal was obviously the headline, and that's what everyone wanted to see. And I'm sure he'll take a lot of confidence from that, but... Perhaps even more importantly, what we've seen in the last few weeks is that actually he can he can contribute to the team's all-round play, and he can bring others into play, and that and that's going to be a big positive going forward through the rest of the season. And Ross, a happy man afterwards, he deserves a lot of credit, doesn't he, for five straight wins, um, made eight changes last night. But I, I guess with Sunderland, the, the players are of a, a standard. Where even if you make those kind of changes, you're still going to have a strong strong team, and they all obviously know what you know the, the type and style of play that Jack Ross wants. Yeah, I mean, not too happy. Jack's never, never too up, never too <laughs> down. Um, he's pretty much the same in, in glorious victory as he is in devastating defeat. But yeah, no, he was. I think he was. I think it's for him. I think he takes a lot of pride from performances like that because, if you ask Jack what his biggest achievement is since coming to become Sunderland manager, he would tell you it's the culture he's built, and it's the thing that he would say most people can't see because it's not necessarily always on the pitch. Yeah. But it's about the attitude that he's instilled at the academy, the application he gets from players. And the biggest example of that is always players who aren't in the team. If they're training properly, if they're prepared, if they're working hard, then that's the best signal he can give that the culture he's got the club is very good. So you have a player like Jack Baldwin, who's been completely out of favour. It's been made fairly clear to him that if he wanted to go and seek football elsewhere, he could. He may still do. We'll have to wait and see on that one. But... Jack clearly has continued to train really well. He's kept himself very, very fit. He comes into the side and plays excellently against Jay Rodriguez, Matt Nevidra and, and Chris Wood, who, off the top of my head, I would guess probably cost about £40 million between the three of them. Mm. And Jack would tell you that's testament to the group that he's built, the players that he's brought in, the recruitment he's done, and also the the culture of, of training and application they have at the Academy of Light. So I think he was very proud, not just for knocking out a Premier League team, because to make those changes and get that level of performance, I think he would tell you speaks volumes for, for the work he's done off the pitch, which I think is probably the thing he would say he's most proud of since he came here 15 months ago or whatever it was. Uh, can he, uh, is it quite high at uh, Burnley? Is it a canny press box? Nice views over the... It's uh, it's very, um, I don't know how high it actually is, but it's because you look straight, because it's incredibly steep, and on the other side you're actually looking down on a lot of the fells, or at least right, it looks yeah, like yeah. it is. So if like me you have problems with vertigo and an intense fear of heights it's uh it's not ideal well you did remarkably well the coverage was um, excellent it doesn't help either when <laughs> you you know the kind of game was it was quite end-to-end um <laughs> yeah. players like george dobbs and i have to admit i was suffering from a fairly intense dizziness for much of the first <laughs> half but all fun and games all fun and games as ever i'm just laughing because um, phil's microphone keeps slipping slightly as he talks so he's getting lower and lower to the floor but we'll, we'll crack on um just on jack baldwin um I guess Jack Ross would have played in this game anyway, but do you think it's a maybe case of putting him in the shop window a little bit before Monday or, or not? I don't necessarily. I don't necessarily think so. I mean, I, I suspect part of it was uh, um, Jack obviously spoke after the game about how well 
Jack Baldwin had applied himself and I think part of that was maybe a, an element of reward maybe for that mm. effort he obviously wanted to rest Ali Mostate and Joel Lynch isn't ready to play yet so in that sense it was a, a fairly straightforward decision look I think I have to be honest I can't imagine it changes too much in terms of Jack Baldwin's future because he did put in performances like this last season where he looked every inch of championship defender and above it was just that he couldn't find that consistency level and I think that's why Jack's made the decision to kind of push him down the pecking order, if you like. Um, and from Jack Baldwin's perspective, he looked at Aleem Oztek. And Aleem last year, for large spells, looked like he would never play for Sunderland again. Mm. Um, and got his head down and eventually finished the season and is now one of the first names on the team sheet at the moment. So I think Jack Ross has proven that he'll give players a chance if they knuckle down. So it's now up to Jack Baldwin whether he wants to take that chance, knowing that it could be well be a good few months away yet or whether he wants to almost cut his losses, if you like, and, and have a fresh start somewhere else. He's got the ability. Um, we've seen that wasn't a, a new performance from him last night. We've seen that from him before. It wasn't a total shock to see him play like that. He's got fantastic quality on the ball. It's just that last season there were probably too many too many lapses, um, and it's it's whether he can cut those out of his game that will kind of define whether he can make it or not, I guess, at Sunderland. Uh, Phil's touched on Dobson. Mark, what was your take on Dobson's uh, relentless, energetic performance and also a nine in that slightly uh, further forward yeah, central I role? I think it was a bit of a shock to see Luke O'Neill start there in, in some ways because Jack Ross has been quite vocal in his belief that he is now a right-back. You said, you know, when the championship teams were in for him in the summer, they wanted to sign him as a right-back, and that's very much where he sees him playing for Sunderland moving forward. So I think we were almost expecting a, a change back to the three at the back, but the energy they gave, especially in the in the second half, and at times in the first half when Sunderland were under the cosh a little bit, just in terms of kind of ending that pressure a little bit, driving Sunderland forward was huge. Dobson's goal, he, he takes really, really well. It's a really good finish through a crowd of bodies. Probably one of those that looks simple, but when you're actually there, it, it's quite a difficult finish to, to, to master. And his energy, his pressing towards the end, and the same of 9 was, was key in that victory. And it's going to be a tough one for Jack Ross now because he's got four midfielders who are playing very, very well. And George Dobson's arguably a little bit different to the rest of them. He's probably got that athleticism, that energy that the others don't have. But it's just using that right, using that in the right kind of games because it will be a useful asset against some teams. But if teams are trying to play, teams are just going to camp back. It's probably not what they need. Uh, but against the teams where suddenly feel like they can have a, maybe a little bit of joy on the counter-attack, I think he'll be, he'll be key in that. Um, we'll we'll just touch on uh, Peterborough briefly now before we move on to sort of all the sort of takeover and transfer transfer latest. Um, obviously Peterborough hit form last weekend. It'll be a tricky tricky game for some. Would you take a Would you take a point there now or? You'd, you'd oh, hundred percent, Abs- yeah. absolutely. Uh, Peterborough away is one of your six or seven toughest games of the season. Um, and if, if you take a point, you you go into this international break with with twelve points from six having played Portsmouth at home and then Ipswich and Peterborough away I think that's a it's okay it's not an outstanding return if you'd beaten Oxford on the first day of the season it would be an outstanding return but for me that's a that's a very 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 solid start to the season that's not to say that Sunderland should go there looking for a point because for all Peterborough have had a couple of brilliant results recently they've also had some very poor ones this season but the fact of the matter is with Peterborough you know that they're going to have a team packed with good attacking talent they're always going to be a threat they might not have that level of consistency that some of the teams have because they're a younger side generally and they tend to play a lot of forwards because they like to sell them on somewhere down the line. But you know they're going to cause a threat. You you know that you're not quite sure what you're going to get from them in terms of overall performance, but you know they're going to have moments of individual quality when you have Madison, Tony, Isa. Um, so it, it won't be an easy game at all. Sunderland will 
be very confident that they can win it, but uh, you know, a point would leave them sitting in a very good position after six games. And, and do you think they'll name the same team that played Wimbledon, or do you think anyone last night might have? No, pretty, I think he pretty much will. He pretty much will. I think George Jobson has to have played his way into his thoughts, um, just because, like I say, Peterborough will have a go, so it'll potentially be quite an open game. And if you're going to play Maguire, McGeady, McNulty, or White and Gooch away from home, which I suspect he probably will. You, you need midfielders who've got real legs and we saw how important Dobson was at Ipswich so I think he will have played his way into his thoughts and I would have thought 9 will, will drop back into right back I, I did think 9 did quite well last night certainly his energy was absolutely fantastic and caused a lot of problems but I still think he's a better right back mm. um, and for all he did impress and he showed that he can be an option in that attacking midfield position did he show enough to suggest he's got better quality in the final third than Maguire and McNulty Probably not. He's he's got a lot more energy. He can force mistakes from the opposition because he makes defenders' lives uncomfortable. He presses them. He harries them, which is a, in some games will be a big asset to have. But you could see even in moments last night that comp- composure in the final third just isn't quite at the level that Maguire and McNulty are at. At right back, he's been productive this season. So I would I would imagine there'll be one or two tweaks. Um, but I think it'll be pretty much what they did last Saturday. And I think Jack in his post-match kind of kind of hinted at that when he said he knows it's going to make his job harder because it's going to be tough to keep players happy because they played well last night and he's going to have to tell them they're not in the team but realistically the performance last Saturday in a, in a pressurised league game was so good that I don't think you're going to want to make too many changes to the balance of the side and McNulty uh, we would hope to have him back in the squad for Saturday um, Jack Ross said that was the game he was targeting after his, uh, his hamstring injury a couple of weeks back so that would be good another option you would have thought would probably start on the bench if he if he was back involved um, but we shall see uh, we're recording this just before Jack Ross's latest press conference on Thursday morning um, I won't ask Phil this but uh, Marcus Madison Mark uh, there were some interesting comments from Richard Hill this week uh, and Darren McAnthony obviously on the back of all the, the talk this summer that he was offered to numerous clubs including Sunderland who were never going to fork out two and a half million this this summer um but he is available on a free next year if they can't time down to a new deal which i think peterborough certainly would would want to um an interesting one and richard uh, hill's kind of comments left it open a little bit how do you think he was yeah he kind of teased a little bit didn't he i think you know it, it's probably would have been unwise for Sunderland to completely shut it down because mm. he is a player given his links to the club and the, the obvious talent he has that's going to be a very natural target for Sunderland, I guess, if, if they do go up. I, I understand the point that fans are saying about, oh, if he was offered to the club, whatever. I don't think he actually was. I think it, there was just a conversation about asking price. 2.5 million for a player entering the final year of his contract is is ludicrous for a League One player, regardless of you know whether Sunderland had that money to spend or not. I don't think that would have been a wise investment when there's the potential. Unless you're Pompey. Of, unless you're Pompey. Right, um, when you're you know, able to potentially get him on a free transfer next summer. Um, like I say, he would be a natural maybe target for Sunderland. They're obviously well stocked in that kind of area at the moment with the likes of Chris Maguire, Ed McGee, Lyndon Gooch able to play in those kind of advanced midfield roles. But you've got to think about that step up to the championship if that is where they end. Could he do that? Probably, yeah. But there's going to be some competition. You know, there was Hull, Hull City interested this summer. And I'm sure there'll be a host of clubs. If he's available on a free transfer, he's going to have no no shortage of admirers. So I think he's one they potentially will look at. But 
we'll just have to wait and watch see. this space add a bit, bit more spice there to saturday uh, right moving on then uh, to um hopeful uh, american investment um and it's pretty exciting times hopefully to be a sunland fan uh, the prospective american investors watched sunland's or some of them watched uh, sunland's 3-1 victory over wimbledon at the stadium on saturday uh, on the back of the sort of news breaking on the, the eve of the game that um, talks uh, close or ongoing um, ahead of potential investment or takeover at the club, which is which is a positive. Obviously, Stuart Donald's been very open about that, the need to bring an extra investment into the club. Uh, watching on from an executive box were John Phelan and Robert Platek, two of the four potential investors. Um, they uh, sit to be joined by Glenn Furman and, of course, Michael Dell on the new look board. Uh, should a deal be finalised, although uh, Dell obviously will just take a minority share and be a sort of passive investor to the other three that are the main main players in this um jack ross was uh, i guess understandably sort of playing it down a little bit after the game of wimbledon um his focus is purely on the on the task in hand of picking up points for sunderland but um overall phil it's if the deal comes off obviously could be another couple of weeks yet still waiting the efl approval etc but it's a potentially really exciting time to be a sunderland fan again after a really tough couple of years yeah very much so um it's a uh, we're talking about very very serious people in the business world um i know understandably there was a, a almost a um expectation management when it comes to michael dell because obviously that's a name that immediately makes people think of yeah vast investment and you know all the marcus madisons you would want in the world and all of that um but you know the other three guys who will be who will be fronting up the fronting up the club if you like if if this deal goes through, are very very serious players in their in their own right. Two of them are um, billionaires as well, so there's absolutely no question marks over the the level of capital that they possess and that Sunderland would have access to. It then becomes a question of, you know, what their long term vision is. Um, I think that the game is is changing significantly at the moment. I think the EFL are becoming tighter and tighter on overspending. I think the long-term consequences of Bolton and Berry will be significant. We're already seeing financial fair play starting to have a major effect outside the Premier League, and I think that will only increase. Having said that, I think that these guys should be able to offer Sunderland what they need, and it looks like there'll be an element of continuity with Stuart and Charlie staying involved at the club, which I think would be very, very good because you don't want upheaval. These guys have had 18 months to get their head around Sunderland, what it needs, what the extra capital can produce, where it needs to go and hopefully this deal the way it's been structured, the fact that Stuart and Charlie are, sit, are staying is a sign that these guys it's not a, a play thing if you like that they're going to come in and chuck money at it's a, it's a very strategic investment hopefully, it might sound kind of cold or business like but hopefully they're looking at Sunderland as a, as a long term strategic investment, something that you invest in yes heavily but also gradually over time focus on the in- infrastructure and grow the value that way through two people who have a much better understanding now of what the club actually needs so I think it's there's an aw- awful lot that we still need to know about exactly how they're going to do that we probably won't hear much more until the deal's completed which is good I always think it's a good sign if people just get on with doing the deal rather than talking about it an awful lot you see a lot of people talk about taking over clubs and it doesn't actually happen so I think there's a there's a lot of positives in the way they've conducted themselves so far. Their business acumen, if you like, speaks for itself. So yeah, you you don't want to get carried away, but it 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 looks like a, a very very good fit. 
and as uh, as you report last Thursday night, I think wasn't it when it broke? Um, Donald, would, as you mentioned, would obviously retain an ownership, a stake in the ownership uh, of the, the American investors would be take control and stake. Um, but Donald Method would still play a large part in the day to day running of the club, and I guess they deserve a huge amount of credit really for getting the club into a position where it can attract people like this. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. They've they've done an awful lot of good work. Circumstances played a part as well. They took on the clubs in a in a false position in a lot of ways mm. to purchase a club of Sunland's size and more important the infrastructure for the price that they'll probably end up buying it for the these um, potential American investors is is really a once in a lifetime business yeah. opportunity because there's no way a club of Sunland's size should be available for that kind yeah. of price and that's and that's why Sunland's such an uh, unbelievably attractive investment proposition what what Charlie and Stuart have done brilliantly is to get it lean um to get it kind of fit for purpose at this level so that you're not chucking money down black holes I think that's the big thing if you come in now to take over the club and this is where Stuart and Charlie do deserve a lot of credit you're not necessarily going to be chucking money um just kind of stemming the stem fixing the ceiling if you like you'll be able to invest it in the right areas and that's why the club's in a good position but also from their perspective they'll be looking at it and saying well i could buy a premier league club with a worse and smaller stadium than sunland a worse or you know equal training ground and i'd probably have to pay an extra 300 million for it mm. so from that perspective yeah. it's a it's an absolutely exceptional business opportunity but where you do have to give Stuart and Charlie an awful lot of credit is that if these guys come in, they'll be able to start investing in infrastructure rather than having to invest in plugging big gaps where money needs to be chucked to keep keep the thing ticking over. So yeah, it's it's definitely a combination of uh, of circumstance and, and and eighteen months' hard work kind of paying off. Um, it almost I'm sure people feel it almost seems too good to be true. So we'll 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 wait and see. Hopefully not. <laughs> Um, as you say, could could take another couple of weeks or so. Uh, it's highly unlikely, I guess, that it's going to be done before Monday's deadline. So there's unlikely. Well, I, it, I, I don't think it would, and I think this is an an important an important point as well that I don't think it would make any difference if it was done before Monday Monday's deadline. I'm not convinced it should make any difference. Yes, if someone could come in tomorrow and buy a really good player who's going to improve Sunderland, then that's good news. But Sunderland have had money before, yeah, and it put the club on the brink of. You know, well, I, I don't suppose it was ever going to go bust or anything like that because I think ultimately, for all his flaws, Ellis had the best wishes of the club at heart, and I think he would have ultimately done what was necessary to keep it going. Certainly, but let's not, you know, pretend that the the club wasn't in an absolutely almighty mess. Mm. So it's not about coming and throwing money at it. It's not about coming in and saying we're going to buy this player, and we're going to buy that player. It's about first and foremost, it's about infra- investing in structure, investing in infrastructure start and hopefully what Stuart and Charlie have identified in their time at the club is areas where the club can be smarter and better and that's where the money's best best off going because if you do that if you get the right structures in place if you get the right people in the right positions and give them the tools required to do their job the rest of it will look after itself so it's not about coming in in day one it's not even about coming in in January and saying okay well let's go out and buy all these players and spend loads of money on them that's the wrong way to do it invest in the structure invest in the process and get that right and then the rest will follow. The rest will become very easy and you'll find it much easier to recruit the right players. And if they cost a bit of money, then fantastic. You've got people who are in a position where they can invest that. So 
yeah, that's a very, very long-winded answer to what wasn't a totally serious question. But <laughs> I think I, I do think it's a really important thing for the yeah, whole no, club no, to, sure. to 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 uh, to kind of look at this and say this is a brilliant opportunity for the club to get to get it right to become a really, really smart football club rather than one that just chucks money at things because I don't think that's the path to success. And that's what I mean when I say I think it's good that Stuart and Charlie are staying on because alongside Jack, they've now had a long a reasonable amount of time in football terms anyway to identify the structures and processes that the club could improve and where investment would be really 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 productive scouting is an obvious Mm. one that you might say so I think there's yeah my big thing would be invest in the structures and invest in the process and buying the best players and and picking up players who are going to improve your team should automatically follow and you'll find I think that you have a much better success rate if you do it that way around and also Jack Ross was speaking about his squad last night wasn't he and how how they've strengthened this some of them obviously signed six players since our last podcast uh, Joel Lynch has arrived defender on a on a free experienced uh, played over 200 games in the championship you would expect him probably still be I think he said himself he's probably a couple of weeks away before he would make any kind of impact at first team level so likely after the international break you'd have thought but uh You'd have a job to get Lynch, uh, well, sorry, um, Willis, and Austin. I, mean, I, th- I think a couple. I mean, we'll see. But a couple of week, a couple of weeks to me seems um, seems quite ambitious. To be honest, you know, if if he's not had preseason games, yeah. as much fitness is going to be been training by himself as well. Hasn't he? I'm sure he's kept himself in good good shape. I know he trained a bit at Sheffield United, didn't he, over the summer? Which clearly that's something that he'll benefit from a lot because the intensity and standard training there is going to be very good. But you know, match fitness takes a little while to come by, and I would imagine. I'd be stunned if we didn't see him in the under-23s before he got yeah. anywhere close to, to first-team action. And It's a very good sign because it gives you cover and competition, but let's be honest, at the moment, Willis and Ozturk have absolutely put their hand up and made their position their own at the moment. And after last night, Jack Bolden and Tom Flanagan could probably say they should be knocking on the door as well. So I think it's a canny signing, but I'd be very, very surprised if we see Joel as a as a first-team regular in the in the near future might get there over the course of the season but for now you know it's it's Ozturk and Willis's jersey to lose and you'd argue Sunderland don't need too many more signs anyway aside from the left back which will come to in a in a little a little while no I wouldn't have said so yeah. not I wouldn't have said so it'd be interesting to see uh, if the Americans had watched the Netflix documentary which uh, they said they had didn't they that was in they? one of the reports yeah that they'd they'd watch the Netflix documentary so obviously that's proven a good selling tool for Sunderland certainly showcased the club um and Mark, I guess this last Saturday as well showed Sunderland at its best in terms of everything really, the atmosphere, the Royal Crane flag display, the fans were non-stop throughout, good win, obviously didn't get the clean sheet, Chris Maguire hat-trick, um, but it was probably one of the more complete performances under Ross, certainly this season and probably over the last 15 months or so, so the potential was there for everyone to see, especially the, the special guests. Yeah, certainly, I mean the second half particular, uh, in particular was an excellent performance, the fans were, were brilliant as ever. Obviously, you know, it wasn't the, the biggest attendance of the season, far from it, but it was the noise. I think Phil said in one of his pieces that roar before kickoff was just that little bit louder and obviously everyone was well aware who was there and it, it did show off something in a really, really good light. The the flag display you mentioned looked stunning. It seems to be growing every week at the moment. It just seems to look better and better each week. You helped out, didn't you? A couple of weeks I back. did, I did. My legs are still suffering from walking Grafting. up and down the Roker in stairs. <laughs> um but I think, you know, if you were an investor at that game, on and off the pitch, you couldn't help but be impressed and see that potential. And I guess that's what they're buying into. They're buying into a third division a football club, but there is a huge, huge potential there. As Phil said, there's, there's Premier League clubs who, who's, you know, would envy Sunderland's facilities. 
the Sunderland's fan base and I think if you know any sensible businessman will see there's a fantastic opportunity here to grow that buy it for a price that's probably not a true value of Sunderland and develop the club and obviously make themselves a little bit of money as well good stuff um we'll uh, obviously have the latest on the takeover news in the coming weeks um moving on then transfer wise uh, Monday 5pm is the deadline for League 1 and League 2 clubs to complete their summer business as we said Sunderland have already signed six players um Jack Ross speaking last night remains confident Sunderland will sign a left back before the window closes um, believed to have had bids rejected for Sheffield Wednesday's Morgan Fox and Kilmarnock's Greg Taylor while Swansea City's Declan John has been reported as a possible another option uh, Ross says he's juggling a number of options um, but uh, hopefully in the next couple of days we'll find a solution to that particular problem and um, how did Denver Hume get on last night? Well yeah I think he's he, I thought he was probably Sunderland's best outlet in the first half. I thought he got down the left really well, gave them someone who could get them up the pitch and relieve a bit of pressure. His delivery was decent. It wasn't fantastic, but it was it was decent. He he didn't look didn't look uncomfortable at all. So I think he sort of look. We all know that even if Denver's playing brilliantly, they still need another left back because you're an injury or a suspension away from being in a major hole, really. So. They need to they need to get something sorted, but Denver's certainly bounced back very well from that Ipswich game and you know, you don't become a bad player overnight, but something like that Ipswich game can have a major effect on a young player and to Denver's credit it hasn't. You know, he's bounced back very quickly and he's back performing close to the level that we saw last season that was so encouraging. And Ross deserves a lot of credit for that as well because he's managed the situation really well. He didn't shy away from how poor Denver had been that day at Ipswich, he didn't try and kid anyone on not least Denver himself um, and then he's kind of integrated him back into the team really sensibly and now he's producing a decent level of performance so for both player and manager that's a big tick but you know y- you want a bit of, bit of experience in there and you just need a couple of options it's it's the one position really where I think Sunderland's recruitment this summer has been very targeted very structured it's the one area of the pitch where you think they haven't done a particularly good job because let's be honest uh, we should have just kept Reese James. Yeah. Someone should have just kept Reese James, and it's one of those where I can understand the logic. They didn't want to carry three left backs again. Brian Oviedo ended up staying last year. <clears throat> you didn't know, I suppose, whether he was going to leave this summer, but you you kind of think surely the club must have must have known they were working on that yeah. exit. So it's one it's the one area where I feel like it's just not been as 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 structured. And to be fair, from what we've seen so far, the summer recruitment looks very very good looks like a lot of hard work is is starting to pay off and they've brought some good players in and, and, and done their work well and in a good fashion that left-back's just the one way you think it could have been handled a little bit better but hopefully they can get something over the line. I think it was at the Portsmouth game, wasn't it, where he, Ross brought Hume on for the last 10 minutes or so? Yeah, it was. It, it was showing that faith yeah, in him. It, it, it was, and, and, and Jack would tell you it wasn't about managing confidence or anything like that. He just yeah. wanted more legs, but clearly he didn't have to bring Denver on. He could have found other solutions. Um, and it was a good game to bring Denver back in and he kind of had that 10 minutes where he did nothing wrong a couple of good runs and will have just helped his confidence and just reassured him a bit so yeah I think I think both player and manager deserve a lot of credit because we're in a position now where very very quickly we're back to the point where if Denver's on the team sheet on Saturday no one's going to bat an eyelid yeah. um, and that's and that's really really encouraging uh, Mark would you like to see Sullen sign any any other players on Monday or do you think would you be happy with one left back 
No, I think just one's needed. I think obviously among fans, everyone's the same. You know, you always want to see a new signing. There's always a clamour around deadline day to bring bring players in. But I think making a signing for the sake of making a signing is not the way to go at all. I think the squad's very well balanced. I think if you look at it now, there's options in every position. As we said before, you know, there's some real headaches for Jack Ross this weekend. Everyone's scored now as well, you forward players. Yeah, all your forward players are on the score sheet. And, and again, there's some really good headaches for him to have. So I think any any kind of further signings would just increase his problems rather than solve them. Mm. It's another selection dilemma, another headache, another player to keep happy. I think once you get that left back in, you've got a very, very good squad. A squad that arguably, in terms of depth and, and individual form, looks a lot stronger than it did 12 months ago. Good stuff. Uh, we shall see what happens on Monday. Um, head to the Sun and Decker website throughout the day for, for all the latest transfer news, if there is any. Um just really finally I guess just a word on the, the League One crisis that we've had in the last couple of weeks which obviously came to head this week uh, with Berry's um, obviously well Berry's demise really them being expelled from the from the EFL um, certainly as things stand in we're recording this on Thursday morning um, after a, any sort of late takeover deal collapsed at the 11th hour and after was it four or five five games that had called off um, basically the EFL felt like they had to make a decision and that was the decision they took Um Devastating, I guess. Obviously, League One will now be 23 clubs um, with just the three relegation spots and um, Bolton Wanderers. Uh, good news for them. Obviously, last night they, they've been saved from suffering the same fate after the Football Ventures takeover went through. Um, what's your take on the crisis that engulfed League One this season? Yeah, well, it's um, it's obviously um, it, it's, it's devastating for Berry who had such a Although clearly the off the field problems have been there for a, for an awful long time. Um, last year, the club obviously had a fantastic togetherness and had a a manager who loved the club, a bright young manager playing really good football and a lot of good young players as well. So it's terrible to see that unraveling for the fans to, you know, realistically, if if this takeover doesn't get sorted quickly, we're we're probably looking at liquidation. Yeah. The ground is obviously in a in a terrible state and would be. It, it would seemingly anyway very difficult for even a Phoenix club to take over, which is a which is a tremendous loss because it's a it's a lovely atmospheric little old ground. So your heart just goes out to the fans really, and you just pray that they're able to get some form of club going in the near future. It, it doesn't have to be the end. We've seen that with AFC Wimbledon, who I mean that was one of the best places to go last year because they've created an absolutely fantastic setup for themselves there, and the way they've b- bounced back is incredible. But it, it looks very tough for, for Berry at the moment to do that. Fingers crossed they do. And fantastic that Bolton have been saved. I can assure you, we've not heard the last of that because I think there's a lot of League One clubs who are very, very unhappy about the way that situation's been managed. Yeah. There's a lot of clubs who I think might have something to say if they face a very, very much stronger Bolton team in the mm-hmm. coming months than yeah. teams in the last few weeks have. Games who haven't teams who haven't had a chance to play against that weaker team because they've been postponed and there'll be a lot of people looking to see what punishment if any the AFL hand out for that particular decision so that's one where every football fan would look at it and say fantastic news the Bolton have been saved but from a League One perspective I suspect that story's got a fair bit to run yet it'll be interesting to see what they do on the final day as well because whoever was due to play Berry wouldn't wouldn't play on the last day would they in terms of the fixture list, because they're, they're I, I think I blank. think there's I think there's two kind of t- aspects to this whole story. One is just as a as a football fan and and, and people who 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 love their clubs and and love the game. You just 
you know how people just want on a Saturday to go and watch their football team and not have to worry about anything else and yeah. it's awful to see fans in the position they've been in from a from a league perspective there are absolutely enormous questions to be asked one about how certain people got hold of certain football clubs how they were allowed to run it the way they were and then how the situation was handled from the start of the season because you have to say it leaves an awful lot to be desired and there's a long long way to go before it's solved properly um Phil just mentioning Wimbledon's just reminded me of your uh, exchange with Wally Downs at the weekend, and he didn't seem too convinced uh, who Chris McGuire was after the no, game. No, he was considering was, he just banged in a hat. <laughs> it was quite surprising. He was asking us more questions than we were asking him. I think at the <laughs> yeah. end he was so he was extremely shocked that Sunderland had managed to get him on a free transfer. <laughs> yeah. I think he was expecting us to say that he'd cost several million pounds or something, but uh, that's he, he the didn't. Myth with this Sunderland squad, isn't it? That yeah, I mean, if you actually money. if you actually drill it down, especially now Lee Catamol's left, if you look at the starting eleven that. Started against Wimbledon, you know, there's only really what Charlie White they paid a fee for. McGee yeah. was a, a fairly small fee. Yeah, but yeah, that did, that did make me chuckle in the regular exchange with uh, <laughs> with Downs last uh, last weekend. It was his fashion sense that made my day. It You're was not a, fan of shoes. a bold a bold statement on the touchline. I think yeah, for Wally Downs. I think Jack Ross won that one comfortably. Um, and just finally, posh predictions. I'm gonna go. No two. idea. No idea from Phil. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go two on Sunland. 1-0. They're going to finally get the clean sheet. 1-0. Thank you very much. Uh, and that brings to an end another Raw podcast. Uh, head to the Sun and Echo website for full details on how to listen and subscribe, uh, which is available in all the usual podcast places. Um, like, subscribe and rate. That would be brilliant. Any feedback, good or bad, um, or questions for the team? Um, incidentally, I didn't have any reader questions. Or we didn't have time for any reader questions or anecdotes this week because there's so much to talk about. So that will return uh, next week for the international break after the Burton game was... Uh, postponed um, so yeah any feedback or questions for the team um, just tweet them to Sonico SEFC or email them to myself uh, richard.manier at jpmedia.co.uk and our thanks to the University of Sunland and we'll be back next week until next time thanks for listening to the world.